the breast has ducts, of course, and glands within it, uh, but it's got an awful lot of fat. And that uh, fat normally looks like cells, which when we look at them down the microscope, they, they almost look empty. And the reason they look empty is because we only see the edge of them. And that's because fat is a bit like oil, isn't it? And the way we handle specimens, we embed them in paraffin wax. That was Dr. Peter Davis, my guest today. As you may have gathered from that short snippet, we delve deep into the structures and all the interesting things that makes up the breast. If you'd like to find out more about the different types of benign conditions you can find in the breast, then this is the episode for you. Let's get started. My name is Tasha Gandhi and I'm your host. I'm also a breast cancer surgeon. In these podcast episodes, I interview experts in the field of medicine, surgery, nutrition, as well as the health and wellness space. If you want to learn more about topics around breast cancer and health, then this is the place to be. Thank you for joining me. Now, today I am having a conversation with Dr. Peter Davis. Peter is a histopathologist, an extremely important member of the multidisciplinary team, because he is the person who examines all the tissue that we take from the breast, whether that is a biopsy sample or a specimen from an operation. He and his team are the people who analyzes it in the lab and give us a diagnosis. Now, in this episode, we talk about all things benign, in other words, not cancer. And when somebody comes to the breast clinic and has a biopsy, a lot of the time, the outcome is a benign diagnosis. Nevertheless, the terminology of that diagnosis can sometimes be a little bit confusing and unclear. So I thought we can talk about the common conditions that may be found in a non-cancer diagnosis pathology report. Because there is a lot of information packed in our conversation, I have split the episode into two parts. Now, I think most of you know, I normally publish an episode every two weeks, but I will publish the second part of this episode next week, so you won't have to wait too long. It was a fantastic conversation, and you can tell how passionate Peter is about his work. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Peter Davis. Um, hi, Peter. Thank you so much uh, for coming on to the podcast. I'm just really, really grateful that you're you're back on the show. This is actually your second time on the podcast. You were one of the very first few guests generous enough to give their time to come onto the podcast. And I think we talked about in that episode, we talked about all things related to breast cancer pathology, didn't we? Yeah, no, that was that was a good session. I'm I'm glad um, glad people enjoyed it. It's a really good episode, actually. We talked about what breast cancer pathology is yeah. all about. We talked about what happens to a core biopsy specimen or a specimen that you would get from an operation, and what you did in the lab when you analysed it. And we talked about the receptors, so estrogen, progesterone receptor, HER2 receptors differences between ductal and lobular. So yeah, it was a really, really comprehensive episode. And for those who haven't listened to it, I would definitely recommend you go and check it out. It, um, it was, I think, episode three. So it's a while back. So you can check out that episode. 
Um, or you can go to uh, mybreastmyhealth.com forward slash breast cancer pathology and you can find it there. And actually, Peter, it's it's one of the most popular episodes so far. Great. Yeah, that's uh, I, I didn't think pathology would be that popular, but um, I guess <laughs> it's because uh, probably people find it a little bit, uh, a little bit technical. And uh, hopefully I managed to do a little bit to demystify some of that. You definitely did because it's definitely a popular episode. So, so thank you for that. Peter, can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do, please? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm a histopathologist, um, which is a kind of pathologist that specializes in looking at tissue and cells of the body. And our role is to uh, look at samples taken from patients to help the clinical team work out what's going wrong and what's, what, what's uh what's up and sometimes that's working out just a diagnosis but more often it's working out um, using clues in the tissue that we see down the microscope um, to give some idea of prognosis and what kinds of drugs might work what kinds of treatments needed um, so often we're about investigating disease but hopefully we can also provide some reassurance when uh what is really going on is a benign process Great. Thank you for that. So, yeah, uh, you're an integral part of the multidisciplinary team that comprises, of course, you know, breast surgeons, breast radiologists, oncologists, breast care nurses, and of course, um, histopathologists such as yourself. So I thought for this episode, we can talk about things that are non-cancer related, because obviously when patients come to the, the breast clinic, they may get a biopsy of sorts or they get diagnosed with something that isn't a cancer. And like breast cancer uh, terminology, there's a lot of non-breast cancer terminology out there. And um, I thought we could talk about a few things that might help people out there to, you know, to really understand what it is that they have. For sure. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a good idea because I, I, I know that some of the uh, reports that we write will end up being read um, by patients who want to know what's what's going on and um, sometimes we write things that are a little bit technical and uh, for us it can be something that we see all the time but I, I, I you know um, I completely understand that for, for patients and their families who are going through this it's a bit of a scary time and you, you just want to know what it is what, what is that lump what is that thing I've got yeah, no, definitely. So I think I've got a list of about 12 things that we can talk about and we'll just go through them um, one cool. by one. And um, if that's okay with you, we can, shall we start? Yeah, brilliant. Let's do that. Perfect. So the first thing that uh, people do encounter a lot is a breast cyst or cysts. And that's a very common thing. Cysts can be felt, you know, they present as a lump, but we can also find cysts on scans. So we can see cysts on a mammogram as well as an ultrasound scan. And a lot of the time we don't do anything about them, but sometimes we do do a biopsy and we get, you know, a cyst um, as, as the result. So can you tell us a little bit about what a cyst is? Yeah, so uh, a cyst is, is basically a little... A pocket of, of trapped fluid and uh, the breast naturally obviously produces fluid and sometimes it just gets it gets blocked and gets stuck um, a duct can get uh, a bit inflamed and and develop a blockage and uh, behind that blockage you can get a, a cyst grows up and where fluid just accumulates within that and we often don't know quite where it's come from um, but the cyst might present as a little lump 
And sometimes actually the clue is that that when you guys, the clinical team, put a needle into it, a lot of fluid comes out and the, and the thing goes away on the imaging. And that's often because that cyst has, has collapsed. But sometimes you take a, a core biopsy, uh, as we talked about in the last podcast, it's just a, a little needle that goes in and takes a little core of tissue out. And what we'll see in that is usually just a bit of the wall of the cyst. And sometimes that is a little bit of the lining epithelium, which is the uh, the cells that line a cyst. And we'll just see those and we can we can usually comment that it looks like a bit like a bit like a cyst wall. It's a bit hard sometimes to diagnose without knowing what the radiology looked like. Right. Um, it's helpful to know that this could look a bit like a cyst. Um, other times it's a bit easier. Sometimes we have if the cyst is very small, sometimes we'll have the whole cyst in the core. Um, if it's a bit larger, we might have sort of smaller daughter cysts around it or associated cysts around a bigger cyst. And some of those, if they've been there for a little while, they can get a bit scarred up and what we call fibrotic, which is where the wall uh, solidifies a bit and it goes from being a, a floppy structure or a blown up structure, a little bit like a tiny balloon, up to more like a, something that's, that's that's got a bit more permanence to it and has a, a, a more fibrotic wall. And we'll often see a little bit of that. And that will give us an idea that there's a there's a cyst there. And as I say, sometimes a cyst can be there on its own or sometimes it's there as part of a group of cysts. A, a long time ago, we used to call that fibrocystic disease right. um, until we realised that actually it's not really a disease. It's just a change in the normal breast and uh, a benign change that, that isn't malignant. Um, and we can just see bits of little bit of sort of fibrous tissue uh, with cysts within it growing up within the breast. And that's something that we see as uh, as fibrocystic change. But if right. you have a, a single cyst, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got fibrocystic change. Okay. So actually that leads on to um, the second thing on my list, which is fibrocystic change. So essentially, you know, mm. a cyst is, as you said, it's a fluid filled little pocket that um, we don't know really the cause of. And it comes and goes, I think, with, you know, hormonal influences. And if we scan somebody at one day and we scan them the following week, sometimes this cyst would just disappear and they don't turn and become a cancer. Right. They, they just they just remain benign and they don't really cause no. any concern. No, there are there are some uh, lesions that can grow within cysts um, that can have a higher risk um, and some cysts can have a proliferation of the lining epithelium um, which are those cells that line the cyst and those proliferations can come in lots of different forms um, but the risk of developing uh, anything like cancer is determined not by having a cyst um, but it's determined by what the epithelium is doing so that's why we have a look at a biopsy um, to make sure that that epithelium isn't proliferating um, and isn't developing any of the um, conditions that can have a slightly increased or more increased risk. We would encounter those um, scenarios when, for example, if you have a cyst and then, you know, we aspirate that cyst, so we use a needle and a syringe, we take the fluid out, and instead of collapsing completely, which is what we expect a cyst to do, there is a solid component left behind, and that is what we would biopsy. That's right. That's right. And it's it's that combination, really, of the 
radiological and the clinical findings and how that cyst behaves when you put a needle in it that gives us all a guide to what kind of follow-up, if any, uh, might be needed. But as I say, the majority of cysts are very benign and not really anything to worry about. Great. Perfect. Okay. So we've done cysts and fibrocystic change. Number three is a fibroadenoma. Could you tell us a little bit about a fibroadenoma, which is the commonest cause of lumps in young women? Yeah, sure. It's um, They present uh, a number of different sizes. Sometimes they can be very small. Sometimes they can be larger. Sometimes they don't particularly grow. Other times they grow a little bit faster. But what it is, is where the um, the epithelium that lines the ducts in the breast proliferates along with the cells that surround it, which we call the stroma. And the, the stroma of the breast um, is is partly fat and partly fibrous tissue. And it's that, that fibrous component uh, that proliferates in a fibroadenoma. So the fibro bit refers to the the fibrous cells that proliferate around the duct. And the adenoma, although it's got that slightly scary oma sound on the end of it, um, oma doesn't mean malignant. Oma means a, 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 I'm going to use a slightly scary word again, tumour. But tumour really technically just means lump. So fibroadenoma is a a tumour or a lump that's formed of fibrous components and the epithelium from the ducts. And what we see when we um, either look at a core biopsy from this or an excision is a generally rounded, fairly small, but can be larger, well-demarcated P-type object. And it's got a rather fibrous, slightly soft, but a bit bouncy, a bit rubbery texture to it. Looks a bit grey. And uh, it's, it's, as you say, is is very benign. So, so fibroadenomas, uh, yeah, yeah, as you said, are very, very common. They're common in young women, the commonest cause of lumps in young women. In fact, they can present as lumps. Sometimes we find fibroadenomas incidentally on mammograms um, and sometimes ultrasound scans. And we know that they don't turn into um, a cancer. So we can, you know, we're very happy to leave them alone. I think in, you know, in the past, they probably would have been removed. But nowadays, we don't, we don't do it unless, you know, patient would like it to be removed, or if it's of a certain size, Um, which actually takes me on to number four, which is a phalloides. So phalloides has this slightly strange name, but Botanists uh, amongst ev- uh, amongst everyone might might recognise the phyllo bit, which means leaf, and that name comes from a particular feature that we see down the microscope. Imagine this as a a bit like a fibroadenoma, but it's changed and it's gone down a route of um, being a little bit more concerning and growing a bit faster. And where that stroma, though the fibrous component, pushes into the ducts that form the epithelial component, starts to look a bit like a leaf. Right. Um, and you get these leaf-like patterns within it. And that's where the, the phyllo uh, bit in the name comes from, leaf-like tumour, really. A number of features which distinguish it from a fibroadenoma. And those are uh, partly the outline. So I said a a fibroadenoma tends to be very round and neat and quite easily separated from the the breast tissue around it. But uh, a phalloides 
can start to infiltrate a little bit more into the into the tissue around it and, and be a little bit harder to get out occasionally. They also tend to have more cells within them because they're growing a bit faster. And those cells, usually in the stroma, um, in the stromal component, the fibrous bits, can develop what we call atypia, which is where the nucleus of the cell, which is the, where, where all the genetic material is, starts to look a bit odd and starts to look what we call atypical. Um, it's not typical. And that is these are changes that we tend to get as we move down the route into what we might call a low-grade phylloides. And phylloides tumours can progress and they can turn into malignant counterparts. And so we have a number of different grades. We talk about low-grade phylloides, we talk about borderline phylloides, and then we talk about malignant phylloides. And malignant phylloides is where that fibrous component um, has turned malignant. But rest assured, it's it's very hard to, there's not really any confusion down the microscope between a malignant phylloides tumour and a non-malignant um, proliferation. They look completely different. Um, there is a little bit of a grey area sometimes between low-grade phylloides and fibroadenoma. And if we have a biopsy where we are just a little bit concerned by some of the features in the stroma, then what we tend to do is we tend to label the core biopsy as a fibroepithelial lesion. And that's us signaling to the clinical team that we're a little bit concerned and we'd like to see some more of this. Now, most of those turn out to be benign fibroadenomas when we take them out. Uh, but some of them turn out to be low-grade phylloides. Right. But the great news is that when you take a low-grade phylloides out, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Tasha, but the peripheral margins of it are not such an issue as they are in a malignant tumour. Um, yeah. Because you, they, if, if you put the whole thing out, that, that tends to be uh, effective treatment. You're absolutely right. I you know, if, talking about a fibroadenoma in the surgical setting, they actually come out quite easily. As you said, it's well demarcated, it's mm. you know, well circumscribed. So it actually pops out quite, quite easily. And similarly with benign phylloides, you know, the infiltrative component or the process of infiltration isn't there, as opposed to a malignant yeah. phylloides where the infiltrative component which is you know one of the characteristics of a malignant phylloid is is present and so getting it out is it feels less circumscribed and less well demarcated mm. i guess mm. so that's really that's really helpful so you know phylloides there's benign phylloides and malignant phylloides but a benign phylloides we can usually remove uh, at an operation safely and we follow patients up, don't we, for, for a while just to make sure that recurrence doesn't happen. So thank you for that. So phylloides, that's number four. So we're nearly, we're kind of nearly halfway there. The fifth thing that I thought <laughs> we could talk about, it's like, it's like two of the pops here. Um, the fifth thing we could talk about <laughs> is fat necrosis. Now fat necrosis is, actually we do get fat necrosis as a biopsy result, not uncommonly. And um, fat necrosis can happen you know, as a result of an operation, or if you if you fell and you knocked yourself. So let's talk about fat necrosis. 
It's more of an interesting topic than it sounds. Um, The breast has ducts, of course, and glands within it, uh, but it's got an awful lot of fat. And that uh, fat normally looks like cells, which when we look at them down the microscope, they, they almost look empty. And the reason they look empty is because we only see the edge of them. And that's because fat is a bit like oil, isn't it? And the way we handle specimens, we embed them in paraffin wax, which means that the oil tends to dissolve really well in the paraffin wax and disappear. So what I see when I look at fat down a microscope almost looks a bit like a spider's web. I see the edges of the cells, but I don't see what's in the middle um, because it's gone. I've, I've effectively dissolved it out. But it's not usually something that I particularly need to see. But what happens when you have fat necrosis is the necrosis is our our technical term for for cell death. And cells can get hurt and harmed. And sometimes that hurt and that that injury is of a degree that causes the cell to actually die. Now, when a cell dies, it, it spills its contents and it excites a reaction around it. And our natural reaction of our bodies is to try and clear up what results and so the the area that has um, undergone cell death attracts lots of um, inflammatory cells and cells called macrophages which are like the, the body's sort of cleanup operatives and they turn up and they will swallow up everything that's left but in doing so all of these cells getting together with the remnants of fat cells and uh, everything that's left over produces a pattern that we see that we call fat necrosis and we tend to see the outlines remaining of these um, uh, fat cells whereas they look clear before we see lots of gunge in them essentially and Mm. bits of dead cell and all of that being collected by macrophages and that creates a a sort of a messy appearance which uh, we call fat necrosis and the significance of that is that it can look radiologically a little bit worrying and it can feel like a bit of a lump. And even, well, when we, when we see it uh, in, a, in an excised breast specimen, uh, it's quite characteristic to look at. But the trouble is, I think clinically and radiologically, it's quite worrying. Yes, that's right. So fat necrosis can feel, as you said, a little bit worrying. It, it's not, you know, it doesn't feel like an like a outright a benign lump. Fat necrosis is a little bit vague, a little bit firm, and not only clinically but radiologically, it can look a little bit worrying. So um, that's why you know we would do a biopsy of the of that. And but yeah, fat necrosis is essentially, you know, dead fat, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's, it's it's hard sometimes to put a finger on why it's happened. You mentioned surgery I and mean, sometimes previous biopsies or, or surgery can result in a bit of fat necrosis um, because there's just been, you know, with the best will in the world, it's a surgical procedure and there's been a little bit of damage. But occasionally fat necrosis just pops up in people with, with no apparent reason. And as you say, sometimes that's um, an injury, but it can also be following a, a, a sort of the body injuring itself if you like so if you have a a cyst for example um, that perhaps gets infected or a duct that gets blocked sometimes you can have some some local inflammatory damage within the body and that can result in an area of fat necrosis so sometimes without having a, a a way to see what's happened in the body beforehand 
we we never quite get to the bottom of why there is an area of fat necrosis but um uh it's in itself nothing to worry about we tend to be a little bit careful with it as as pathologists because it makes the tissue look a bit odd and if we're doing a follow-up biopsy on somebody who's previously had a tumor that's when i tend to get out some more advanced tests we talked a little bit about immunohistochemistry last time yes um and that's where we use antibodies to carry stains to highlight various things that are going on and that's one of the circumstances when I might get out the immunohistochemistry. Okay. Because if I see some fat necrosis and the patient's got a previous history of cancer, I just want to have a peer inside and make sure it really is just fat necrosis. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. So, yeah, I didn't realize that fat necrosis can just, you know, is self-inflicted or cell-inflicted cell fat necrosis rather than having to have, you know, a known trauma or surgery or Sometimes, you you know, people just knock their breasts and you get a little bit of a bruise and you can get fat necrosis that way. Mm. But fat necrosis in itself is nothing to worry about. So that's really helpful. Thank you so much to Dr. Peter Davis for his expertise and for this first part of a two-part episode. If you want a recap of all that we have talked about so far, I will leave it in the show notes, which you can find at www mybreastmyhealth.com forward slash episode 28. Now, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far, and I would be really interested to hear your feedback and your comments. So if you haven't done so, do connect with me on social media. You can find me at Dr. Tasha G, so that's D-R Tasha G, and it'd be really good to connect. And, you know, you can DM me or uh, leave any comments and perhaps any suggestions of other things you would like me to talk about or people you'd like me to interview. Be really good to connect. So as I've mentioned, the second part of this episode will be published next week rather than the um, normal publishing schedule, which is every two weeks, and so that you don't have to wait too long to listen to it. In the meantime, stay healthy, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Take care. Bye.